to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Srini Pillay, who's going to talk to us about the wisdom of slowing down. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. People often ask me, you know, being a kind of radical, brilliant guy, okay, so who is the most radical, brilliant person you know? I think I've already answered that question with Daniel Schmachtenberger. It's like, with Daniel, it's like meeting somebody who has returned back to our time from like 50 years in the future, the vet, the best possible version of 50 years in the future. But really close behind is going to be Srini Pillay, uh, today's guest. Srini is um, a professor of psychiatry at Harvard University Medical School, practicing psychiatrist together with his wife. His wife actually is a nutritional psychiatrist. Really interesting. She she explores the impact of food, not just pharmaceuticals, but actually food on our psychological state. So she's really interesting. I want to get her on the on the podcast too. Shunit Pillay is going to talk about something fascinating, um, what he has discovered about slowing down and doing less. So actually the importance of deregulating regularly, like he, he's actually going to recommend in this podcast to, to not be in any focused activity for more than 45 minutes and then take a break and deregulate. Take Sundays off, if possible, Saturdays and Sundays off, you know, to really t- spend more time doing less so that your time doing more is more focused. So this is a wonderful, gorgeous, inspiring, very necessary, very timely uh, missive, considering how much we're all glued to our phones these days, never take a break. The importance of staring at trees. I wish you could see what I see looking out of the window. Well, maybe you can. Take a look. This is what I see looking out of the window. These are the trees that I see sitting from where I am. Pretty gorgeous and wonderful, huh? So um, take some time to stare at trees. Take some time to do nothing and enjoy this. Maybe you could sit on your deck looking at trees while you enjoy this amazing conversation with the great incomparable Srini Pillay. Hey, Srini, thank you so much for taking time. Thanks for having me, Angela. Thank you. It's always nice to talk to you about really everything. Well, same, same. We're going to talk today about a topic that doesn't get very much airway, airplay, airtime, which is the benefit of unfocus, right? And uh, we hear so much about how to focus, how to focus more, how to focus longer. ADHD is seen as the big curse of our time, people not being able to focus enough. And you've actually discovered through multiple phases of your life the great benefit of not being focused. And I, as I understand it, I think I remember that this began for you all the way back in medical school in Cape Town, right? Yeah, the, it was in Durban. Yeah, Durban, in South sorry, Africa. yeah, South Africa, yeah. Yeah, I had, you know, I had been a competitive high school student, went straight to medical school, did really well in my first year. And then in my second year, found myself 
absolutely like focusing all day mm. to the point that I would fall asleep with bones in my face. <laughs> and, and I and I you know I thought I worked really hard, but I didn't do as well, and it sort of freaked me out. And the next year, I just made adjustments to how I studied. And so what I did was I built in 15-minute periods every 45 minutes, mm -hmm. and I, um, you know, I took times off at the end of the week. Did you just figure that out intuitively, or what prompted you to, to, to suddenly institute 15-minute breaks every, every... I had to do something different. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and I think I recognized that and mm -hmm. talked it over with my family. Mm -hmm. And I, so I just decided, well, why don't I do that? You come from a medical family? Uh, just my brother. Okay, brother, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and so it was sort of like, well, why don't I, I learned, I actually, he asked me to learn Transcendental Meditation. All right. And I told this him, that it sounded ridiculous. And he uh -huh. said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to sit in a chair and start saying a mantra. Mm -hmm. He said, well, if you're a real scientist, you'll try it out. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work, then reject it. Yeah. If it works, then use it. Do you still do that today? I do. I think it was probably one of the most profound influences of my life. So it's been um, quite a few years you've done it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I don't, I, of recent, I haven't been as regular as I want to be. Mm. And when I'm not, I'm always like, this is the most self-destructive, ridiculous thing you can do. Like, if, and, and I'm not saying that it's for everyone. Yeah. Although there's a bunch of research showing that it's effective for groups of people. Yeah. It's more that if you know yourself, something so, so dramatically changes your life in a positive way. Mm. Why would you stop doing it? Well, let me slip in some good news, okay? Here's, here's my little good news for you. Uh, I've actually been meditating now for... <clears throat> 48 years. I started in 71. I started with TM, but I didn't keep that up. I just stopped after 10 years. But here's the thing. There's, 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 quite a, there's some decent research, not so much in TM, but in mindfulness and other areas. If you get into the habit of sitting with your eyes closed for 20 to 30 minutes a day and your metabolic rate changes, uh, if you then actually stop the formal practice of doing that sitting, your body will continue to go into that state. Of the, if, if you, especially if you meditate regularly at the same time. If you meditate every day yeah. from 7 to 7.30 a.m. for a few months, if you stop formally sitting, your body will still go through those. Well, I, I notice that from time to time. Yeah. But I still think, I mean, when I resume my meditation, mm. seemingly magical things do, do mm. occur. Mm. And, you know, so it was sort of, so starting the meditation, going back to 45 and 15, mm. taking certain weekends off, mm. um, and I did that for several years and graduated at the top of my class. So, I, in, 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 in South Africa? In South Africa, yeah, yeah. yeah in, in uh, at medical school. And you're, it sounds like you're pretty confident that it was the not doing that contributed to graduating top of your class as much as the doing, right? I think so, because I think I've noticed that that my recall of information was enhanced. Yeah. My ability to integrate information was enhanced. Right. But you know, I, as I told you before, I, I you know I forgot that. And so when I came to the U.S. to do my residency in psychiatry uh, at McLean Hospital yeah. at Harvard Medical School, yeah. You know, I, I came. They people used to tease me. They'd say, "Oh, you're behaving like an immigrant." I said, "Well, I am an immigrant." Mm -hmm. And they would say, "Well." You know, like, why are you working the whole day? I'd stay on the ward still, like, eight or nine at night. Yeah. I'd go to every didactic. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was very focused on what I was doing. Mm -hmm. and, and when I got my first quarter feedback, the feedback I got was, you, you obviously know more information than anyone in your class, mm -hmm. but we're worried about you. And I said, well, what are you worried about? Mm. And they said, well, you know, you don't sit in the park benches, you don't go to Walden for a swim, mm. you go to 100% of your didactics that mm -hmm. shows no discernment. <laughs> like, we don't, if you want to be at Harvard, you should probably really be concerned 
that if you don't take time off, you're not going to have time to reflect and, and develop your thoughts. You know, that is actually incredibly encouraging news. Um, I'm writing a book with a man I want to introduce you to, um, Dr. Jan Bonhoeffer. Uh, and it's called Heart... Well, it's two books. The first one is Dear Hannah, which is letters he's writing to his goddaughter who's, go, who's in residence and going to residence. The other book is Heart-Based Medicine. And one of the things Dr. Dr. Bonhoeffer is concerned about is very much about residency. I mean, medical school is one thing, but he, he describes residency as like boot camp, where you, know, you, you sometimes don't sleep for days. You know. he, he describes living on black coffee and snacks from the vending machine. And even there was a point where black coffee didn't work anymore. He started doing saline solutions just to be able to stay awake. He was, he was um, getting trained you know, in surgery. And actually, he was, he was, he was the one handing the instruments. Actually, right. actually his, his head like dropping towards the table in the surgery. Yeah. So he describes it as kind of horrendous process. And he, he made exactly this point that you get trained to not take care of your own body while you're supposedly learning about health. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's much better now. I mean, yeah. there, there are laws in place, there are yeah. rules in place. So people don't work as many hours as, mm-hmm. as we used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, it's a pretty rigorous schedule in any residence. Yes, yes. You know, so I... You know, I, I feel like I learned from that, and I, you know, when I was in my residency, I, I, I mean, I was still in Connor about it. I, I was like, okay, I gotta be on the bench for like a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sit here for 15 minutes. Good. But let me ask you, this attitude they took of concern that you weren't taking enough time off, would you say that was very asymptomatic of the medical world, of medical training at that time? It was, it was very different. Very different. It was very different. Was it a revolutionary teacher you had? Well, the whole program was like that. Mm. So McLean Hospital at that time mm. was known for sort of attracting people who were self-motivated thinkers, mm. who wanted to change the world. Mm. And you know, for sure that's true you know, of, of other Harvard programs as well. Mm. But they didn't really have the time. Mm. In fact, you know, they often would tease us and say, you're a country club program. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have the time to do what you're doing. Because mm. your and wife was, was in, in yeah, Boston she, she well. was, Yeah, she yeah. was. She was in the Harvard Longwood program. Yeah. And she's now at Mass General. Right. And, right. and Mass General, um, Longwood was not as intense as That's Mass where John Kabat-Zinn started his mindfulness program. So that's Mass General, I think. Uh, so. Yeah, he, I think he went to Mass General eventually. Yeah. 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 So, so Mass General was very much a kind of. In fact, when I interviewed at, at Mass General, I was deciding which program to go to, mm. and um, there was a staff member who I who was controversial, but I was very fond of him, George Murray, mm. who interviewed me. And you know, when he interviewed me, he said, he said "Well, you've been doing research at McLean." So he said, "So you're going to go to McLean?" I said, I, "I haven't decided yet." And he said, "Well, there's just one big difference between McLean and Mass General." If you die in a helicopter accident, no one will notice it in the plane. <laughs> but, but if you come to Mass General, we will be mourning your loss. That's how integral you'll be to this program. I see. And for me, that was a signal of, oh my God, <laughs> what did they do with this program? Mm-hmm. You know, I eventually ended up doing two rotations at Mass General, which were intense and I loved them. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated having that time off to think. Yeah. And I, even in the, that instance, I graduated at the top of my class. I was sort mm-hmm. of, I, I feel like, like my, I have consciously, whether it's true or not, I have consciously tied my achievement uh, academically mm-hmm. to having that time off. Right. And, and you know, it's a, this was the thing that my, so it's that, but also the fact that I have so many different interests that sometimes people would say, you know, are you too unfocused? Mm-hmm. And 
I would say, well, I mean, may, potentially you could offer that critique, except that I noticed that I tended to get meet all my deadlines. Mm. So, and people with people who, who apparently focused would not. Mm. When this happened with, with books I would write, people would say, you know, publishers would be sort of, you know, afraid of that. They would say, you really have to concentrate because we have it. We've got to finish this number of chapters. Mm. And I would say, what are you talking about? You know, I, I play music, I, <laughs> you know, I, I take time off, I, I play hard as well. Yeah. I, um, I was in biotechnology, in starting technology companies, and I, I met pretty much every deadline. And, and, and it was they who didn't meet those deadlines. Let's talk about like what, 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 what is, I mean, focus we know, it means you sit down, you, you're going to write, you're going to accomplish goals. Unfocus is a lot of, that could mean take a nap, could mean meditate, could mean look, stare at the trees, it could mean yeah. make some snack, could mean go for a walk, it could mean exercise, it could mean exercise vigorously, it could mean go in the garden, it could mean accomplish some task but not connected with your work, like woodwork. So um, is it all of the above or is, is some forms of unfocus more effective than others? So it, it's most of the above. Mm -hmm. uh, so just to first go into why I object to this, I, I think that focus in of itself has at least five different disadvantages. Okay. That, that I think we should be aware of. Mm -hmm. the, the first is that focus drains the brain of energy. Mm -hmm. And in one study, when they looked at people looking at videos versus people you know, with intense focus mm -hmm. versus people who were just looking at videos, mm -hmm. uh, they, they found that when they gave them a moral dilemma to solve, like someone to save, the group that was focusing intensely couldn't care less. And they only started to care when they got glucose. So that's interesting. It's so it actually reduced their compassion then and their sense of yeah, moral certitude, moral compass. So would you say that that's an interesting insight you've just generated, that actually when people lose the capacity to care, it's because they have less energy in their brain? Yeah, we, I mean, there, there's a technical term for it, it's called self-regulation depletion. Mm -hmm. um, and what that means is that the prefrontal cortex, which usually will direct you to a particular task, mm -hmm. is just not functioning the way it should be functioning. It's, mm -hmm. it's metaphorically passed out. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to really rally to pay attention to something that's needed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one disadvantage, that focus depletes the brain. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle you'll have an accountability partner in another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop 
deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. So, so I think the fact that the focus um, can disrupt your ability to care and drain your brain yeah. of energy is yeah. problematic. Yeah. So that's the first disadvantage. That is a really fascinating insight to dwell upon, that actually people lose, that's, just, that's lit up lights in my brain, because people losing moral compass or not just not caring, not giving a fuck, right. is actually connected to insufficient glucose in their brain. Right. Who would have thought that? Yeah. Wow. And and you see this a lot, like people who are overworked. Ah. You know, like they you wonder, like, yeah, like well, how come they just don't care? Well, because they don't have their brains are not well fed. Now, when we say well fed, you specifically mentioned I think glucose in yeah. that experiment. Yeah. yeah. So what can can we do a little bit of a you know, this is my unfocused brain. Can we do a little bit of a, 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 a detour for a moment? And let's sure. talk about what would constitute good brain nutrition. Like, what does the brain need as opposed to what does the body need? So, I, mean, I think that's too broad a question. I mean, it depends. So, I, I would say a minimum of 1,800 calories per day. Yeah. Uh, a good distribution of protein, carbohydrate, uh, and, and fats. Foods that don't have a high glycemic index that suddenly spike sugar like sodas or fast foods. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you mentioned glucose, which would be which would have well, a high. Well, yeah, I think that experiment is essentially just wanted to show that focus depletes energy. Yeah, got it. And that by giving somebody glucose, yeah, you could you could replete that energy, right. and as a result, mm -hmm. they could be you know they could be focused again. Yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, I mean, so we can go more into the nutrition if you'd like to, but um, maybe we'll come back to it. Yeah, sure. let's come back to it. So well, maybe that's a better topic for my wife. But I, I'm, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to talk to women too. Yeah. So, 15 minutes. 40, you found a 45-15 ratio plus taking, I'm imagining, one or two days off a week, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I I think so. Now I'll go when 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 we start to talk about the different techniques. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll go into some options about how people can organize. Mm -hmm. But, mm. but the, the thing is also that's so interesting because this podcast is all about contribution, right? The podcast is not about how to become richer or have a better bestseller or be the most incredible version of you. This podcast is about contribution. And what you're actually saying is that a well-rested, well-nourished brain is more likely to be a contributing brain. People care more when they have yes. enough nutrition and energy in their brain. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, and then in terms of contribution, I think the second one is that is that focus keeps you so sort of on track that mm -hmm. you lose sight of what's going on around you. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the example of Anne Wang, who invented the word processor, mm -hmm. and was just uh, and was just looking at word processor version two, not aware that the PC would mm -hmm. come in the market, and mm -hmm. because he wasn't looking anywhere else, or you know, in relationships, the fact that. Some people get so absorbed in their relationships that they don't pay attention to the fact that someone else is on the scene and their partner is having an affair. Or um, you can get so absorbed in your work that you don't notice what's going on in your relationship. Right. You can also get so absorbed in your work you don't notice what's going on in your body. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So in terms of contribution, you, you, your contribution becomes compromised because you're actually not 
paying attention to your body so you don't have the energy. You're, you're also not paying attention to things that might take over or mm -hmm. like new trends mm -hmm. that, that could be occurring. Yeah. Which ties in with the third disadvantage of focus, which is that <coughs> excuse me. When when you when you proceed with your nose to the grindstone, you're not looking up ahead. Mm -hmm. So you don't see that robots are about to take over this job mm -hmm. that you've been doing for many years. And yeah. you don't see what any new trends mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. The fourth thing is that focus, when, when you innovate, when you mm -hmm. want to be creative, you, you generally join two or more points mm -hmm. you know, in order to map similarities. Pattern recognition, yeah. Right. Which I think is very associated with dopamine in the brain, right? It, it, it can be, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so, so one of the things we know is that is that focus keeps you on one point, so this, it decreases innovation. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is that, is that focus fundamentally, uh, the, the unfocused circuits in the brain overlap mm -hmm. with the self circuits. Mm -hmm. So in terms of contribution, and maybe here this would be a kind of a fun detour. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for contribution, I have a, a few controversial ideas there. So, so one is, I'm very against the notion of finding your why. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I've been, I've, been, I've been proselytizing um, instead finding your eye mm -hmm. um, for the following reasons. I'm, I'm not against finding one in the sense that it's not important at all. Mm -hmm. I, I just noticed looking at the literature that if you look at the professions that are most associated with suicide, mm -hmm. they are often very purposeful professions. Mm -hmm. Firefighters, veterinarians, doctors, mm -hmm. and in my own Psychiatrists. <laughs> right, psychiatrists, yeah. you know, actually emergency room physicians, surgeons, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, dentists. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of those are very purposeful professions. And so, and in my clinical, uh, you know, I, I still do clinical work, it, it, my, in my clinical experience, more than two decades, I, I know, I've seen, I can't even tell you how many people I've seen, you know, they're in their 60s or 70s, and, the, and the, they come in saying, I don't know what happened to the last three years of my life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You've got all these accolades, mm -hmm. the world has applauded your contributions. And they say, yeah, but I don't know where I was. Yeah. Like literally, I lost touch with mm -hmm. myself. And that actually is tied into normal unfocused time, right? Where you yes. Just, just, ah, yeah, right. have, a, have a sigh. Yeah. Right, and, and metaphorically what that's about is that focus metaphorically is like picking up pieces of your identity with a fork. Mm -hmm. Whereas unfocus is, invites other utensils to the brain, like a, a spoon for the delicious melange of flavors of your identity. So it's like the scent of your grandmother, or you know, the, the, the hue of something, or the smell of the fall. You know, it also invites chopsticks to make connections across the brain, and it invites things like, I mean, depending on what you eat, a, a marrow fork or, or, or a toothpick, to dig into the nooks and crannies of the brain to unearth memories that focus would not find. Yes. So just just to it's, it's, it's like allowing things to percolate up instead of going after with intention. Right, and as a result, your your sense of self mm. uh, is strengthened. I call the psychological center of gravity. Mm. And in this very uncertain world, mm. I believe that the one key essential ingredient that you need is the psychological center of gravity, mm. because then you can proceed into any form of uncertainty and respond with as much of you as you can. Do you think that's similar to what people sometimes call presence? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think presence is a, is a huge piece of this. Presence is mm -hmm. about um, finding your eye. Mm -hmm. and, and, and actually, Aristotle said, when mm -hmm. Aristotle described uh, a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. he described eudaimonia, mm -hmm. living a eudaimonic life, which mm -hmm. was essentially about living a life of meaning and purpose. Mm 
And what he said was that, he, I mean, I'm oversimplifying this, but he basically said that purpose should never be identified with an object. Mm. That, that a sense of purpose is a thing that exists for itself. Mm. Mm. And then that, when you have that feeling, mm. it can direct you toward a mission. Mm. But a lot, like a lot of people in my practice, for example, you'll hear this all the time, I want to do something that makes an impact. I want to do something... But people are not really immersed in that because mm. the, the, the sense of self mm. is, not, is not present. I think this is, I'd like to just take a little moment to, to dabble in semantics a little bit, okay? Because sure. I, th I think we want to, because people use these, some of these words with very, with actually opposite meanings, okay? Yeah. So, one word you're using is, you know, the I, right? The sense of I, talking about sense of self. We're also referencing presence. Most of them are focused and unfocused. So I think it's a good idea to stick to get some, some semantic clarity because um, the sense of I can be associated with a sort of contraction into me and my needs and, you know, and, and my, my world, my problems, which is not necessarily uh, exactly the same as being very present. Sometimes being very present means that your sense of me dissipates and you become more, you become more of just a loving, a loving presence and more interested in other people. So there's maybe a, there's a distinction between thinking about me, which is which creates a kind of I thought, and just an, 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 a, an a, a perfume of, of presence and, and and self with a kind of almost like a capital S is how it's sometimes distinguished in you know, a small yeah. self, big self. So let's just riff on that a little bit so we get some sure as we're on the same page. <coughs> Excuse me. So in in a, in a crude way, mm. I think what we're talking about is ego versus a comprehensive sense of self. Yeah. And I think that ego, to a large extent, mm. um, is, is a sense of self. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't mean this in a Freudian, in a Freudian ego sense, it's just sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, mm. but, but in the way we use it popularly, when we talk about it, this person has a big ego, because all they do is think about themselves. Mm. I actually believe that that is largely due to a deficit in a real Bingo. sense of self. Oh, yes, absolutely. I completely with you. I think that's absolutely right. And and so when you have that deficit, you've got to overcompensate. Yeah. And then you go into all these spaces. But when you when you have these unfocused times built into your day. Yeah. And you can feel a more comprehensive sense of self. Yeah. You don't feel a need for ego because when you're mm -hmm. walking past an apple tree. Yeah. It does something for you. Exactly. So actually, <coughs> the sense of ego or self obsession enters in in, in, a, in an insufficiency of presence, in an insufficiency right. of showing up. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So, so I think those are the five disadvantages of, of focus, I, that it drains the brain of energy, mm. that it doesn't allow you to see what's happening in the periphery, mm. that it doesn't allow you to see what's happening ahead, mm. that, it, that it really compromises innovation, mm. and that it also compromises your sense of self or presence. And yet you also said that we definitely need times of presence, of, of Ab focus. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But we just need them interspersed with non-focus. Well, well, what I uh, often say to people is that I think the unfold, the reason I wrote this book was I could have just written, say, hey, chill from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wrote a whole book about it because I think that it needs to be strategic. Mm -hmm. you know, so, for example, a lot of people are, um, you know, are unable to, to, so I think typically people have low levels of brain energy at different times of the day. I think for me it's directly after lunch. Yeah, a lot of or, people, or yeah. maybe in the middle of the afternoon or right mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're already running on empty, 
Why wouldn't you want to refuel your brain? Mm -hmm. you know I mean? So a lot of people say, no, I have to finish this. What they don't realize is that if they don't unfocus, they're actually compromising their ability to finish it or to think creatively. Mm -hmm. you know, the, so the, the focus circuit in the brain, mm -hmm. is, I mean, there are many parts of the brain that contribute to focus, but one part is the frontoparietal cortex, mm -hmm. which, is a, which is basically a pathway that activates whenever you're, you're laser focusing something. Is that what's called task mode network? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's as opposed to default mode network. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the, the default mode network, which we used to think of as the do mostly nothing mm -hmm. network, actually uses 20% of, 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 of the body's energy at rest. So, mm -hmm. uh, so focus just adds another 5%. Uh -huh. okay. which, is, which is interesting mm -hmm. because what it tells us is that it's not enough to pick up information. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of energy that goes into putting information together. So what it means is when you think you're doing nothing, you're still running at 80% of what was happening when you were doing something. That's right. Right. Yeah. Which means a lot of... Um, a lot of patterns are falling into place, a lot of ahas are happening under the surface. And you are giving your focus brain a chance to relax. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this was a pretty long pathway to get to the point of what you were asking, mm -hmm. which is, well, now how do we unfocus mm -hmm. in those times and, yes. and when? Mm -hmm. So I think 15 to 20 minutes in each of those periods is good. Some people sort of balk at the idea of that they could take that much time off in a work day, mm -hmm. in which case I would say, well, start with five minutes and build it in a few times in your day. And there are some pretty simple things. So here are some things that I think you can do, and if you want to talk more about them, I'm mm. happy to we'll talk about other things too. No, I'd love to hear. So the first is napping. Yeah. Five to 15 minutes of napping mm. gives you one to three hours of clarity, mm -hmm. which is pretty remarkable, right? So mm. after lunch, if you are tired, mm. and you say, I've got to still finish this, if you just step for five to 15 minutes, yeah. you would have additional clarity for one to three hours. Okay, great. So, you know, there are, so that's the first thing. For, for to, be, to become more creative in your contribution, you really want to have a full 90 minutes because you need a full REM cycle. Yeah. Now the problem with that is most people don't have 90 minutes in the middle no. of the work time, right. right? Yeah. So if I, if I, just a quick chip in here, if I took a 90-minute nap in the middle of the day, I would be exhausted. If I take a 15-minute nap, I'm even refreshed. Right. Yeah. And so what I say is if you want to take a 90-minute nap over the weekend mm -hmm. when you're doing nothing anyway, mm -hmm. maybe you'll get some creative ideas when mm -hmm. that happens. Mm -hmm. right? And then the other thing about napping is if you nap too much, it can stress your heart out. Okay. And that's because it compromises your sleep. Uh -huh. okay. And so if it compromises your sleep, yeah. You're not really able to, you're, you're not, your heart is not able to function properly. So napping is the first thing. The second thing uh, is doodling. Mm -hmm. So just scribbling mm -hmm. on a piece of paper wow. can, can actually, Jackie Andrade and her colleagues mm -hmm. did a study that showed that doodling improved memory by 29%. Oh. Um, Any doodling? Well, so I think with everything, so I just want to offer a couple of caveats about everything that I'm sharing. Yeah, yeah. One is that, you know, having done brain imaging research for 17 years and seen mm. patients for more than two decades. Mm. I both believe and don't believe anything I say. Okay, <laughs> very good. So mm. I, I think the second thing is that often everything that's opposite is true. Yes. Nice. So these are just frameworks. Yeah. And, and they're not experiments, and they should be experimented yes. with, okay. even if there's hardcore research that's substantiated. Okay, but, but still come with all of that caveat in place, 
what right. kind of doodling. <laughs> so, so, so any kind of doodling. So basically yeah. just scribbling on a piece of paper yeah. while they were listening to, a, to a, a recording of a woman describing her cats and things that they were doing. And some the people who were doodling, mm -hmm. it was as if their brains, just, their brains were more uh, absorbent sponges. Ah, okay. So they, they weren't super tense, whereas the people who were not doodling mm. were paying attention, mm. but their brains were obviously not able to retain as much. Yeah, that said, there was a recent study uh, done on doodling that showed no positive effect. Um, ah, okay. So, yeah, I, I think in general, think of these as, if there's evidence, it's worth trying. Mm. Uh, then there's a technique called positive constructive daydreaming. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a technique that was uh, first investigated by Jerome Singh mm -hmm. in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And what he found was that if you just sit at your desk daydreaming, it's not helpful. If you're ruminating over maybe like the prior night's indiscretion, it's not helpful. If, however, you are, you, you do three things. Number one, schedule time in your day. Mm -hmm. Number two, do something low-key, like gardening or, yeah. or knitting. Yeah. or even walking. Yeah. And then number three, mm. while you're doing those things, mm. allow your mind mm. to just float off mm. into something that's pleasurable, like mm. lying on a yacht, mm. or playing, running through the woods with your dogs. Mm. That the brain, the, you activate the default mode network because your mind is wandering. wandering okay. But what's interesting about that is that the, the lateral prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that guides you usually, is still on. So in many mind-wandering states, there is an underlying intelligence. So it's not quite wandering as much as you think it is. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think people have discoveries in the shower. Yes, yes, yes. Or um, Einstein, when he described his theory of relativity, he described it as a musical experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or Carrie Banks Mullis, uh, who discovered a way of making synthetic DNA. Um, he was driving from Berkeley to Mendocino, he was with his girlfriend, she mm -hmm. was in the car, she mm -hmm. was asleep. Mm -hmm. They had had a little bit of wine, they were mm -hmm. driving up a winding road. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden they encountered this rock, got out of the car, jumped out of the car, started scribbling some stuff on the rocks, <laughs> went back. And when you, when you look at, and anyway, that's how he discovered PCR. And when, you, and when you look at interviews of his lab mates, they really hated it. Yeah. They said, you know, he never followed protocol. Yeah. He never followed, like in science, there's this sort of, very rigorous rule that you only advance slowly one micro idea at a time. Yeah. And Carrie Banks just took big leaps all over the place and then came across this thing that transformed human biology. It reminds me that Albert Einstein is reputed to have uh, stumbled upon the general theory of relativity while laying in the bathtub relaxing. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's maybe just street myth, but. Yeah. yeah, and then John Nash, you know, um, also his his creative insights came the same way. Yeah, well, you know, Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. I think, is famous for his Stanford uh, quote mm -hmm. uh, in a speech in, in which he said, "You can't join join the dots moving forward. Mm -hmm. You can only join them when you look back mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in life. So mm -hmm. in life, you've got to trust something." And what he called it was gut, karma, life, destiny, whatever. <laughs> and so what he's saying is that, is that when you move forward, just being open. Yeah. I mean, he, he and Mark Zuckerberg both mm. uh, were known to have had positive changes in their business. Mm. Businesses where they took time off from into an ashram in India. Yeah, right. Well, Steve Jobs started out that way. He That's right. He, he was in India in 19. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's lots of LSD involved too. That's right, yeah. And I, I suspect in the Carrie Banks' mother's time, um, 
from you know, Berkeley in that era uh, suddenly was known for that. I don't know what he was doing specifically. As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliant Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. Yes. I've got a question. Can I? Are you in the middle of a flow? No. Because um, we're talking about different kinds of um, what to do in a break, right? what, what to do in your 15 minutes of downtime. And you actually haven't mentioned my favorite one yet. So I'm going, the one that makes the most difference for me, that just, just works a treat every time. My wife uh, works at home as well. So she has her office, I have my office. So when I'm ready for a little peppy break in the middle of the day, we go and make out, right? <laughs> Sometimes we actually go down to the, we go for a quickie in the bedroom, yeah. but you, as, just as I, this was, I was, I was preempting right. your suggestions. We, we actually keep it to 50 minutes or less. Have a quickie, have sex, but no ejaculation, of course, so that may be tired. Right. And then, boom, that works better than anything to rejuvenate. So well, I think you should publish this. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the next version of your book, you can actually right. oh, I'll even provide some photos for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I actually. Well, it's the, it's the best, you know, because if you get aroused, now I'm speaking from a male point of view. But because obviously if you ejaculate, you're going to very, feel very tired when you go to sleep. But if you get aroused, you've got all that energy, and it's the best way to build up, to build energy quickly. If you know how to circulate it up, the, up through your spine, so the arousal spreads into other parts of your body, that's the best way that I've found to go and have great ideas afterwards. Well, I, I actually think it is. So in the book, I talk about uh, surrender. Mm. And I use sex as, a, as, a, as an example. Mm. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if people focus their way all the way through ejaculation? Mm. Like if you never let yourself go ever. Mm. You know, it would, be, it would be a pity. And yeah. it would also, you would not have the experience or whatever that satisfaction yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, so, you know, it's great that you've discovered that. Yeah. Okay, well, you're welcome to yeah. uh, welcome <laughs> try to integrate yeah. it. Right. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah, so in terms of, uh, so, so we talked about different things, positive constructive daydreaming was yeah. one of those things. 
Um, and, and what positive constructive daydreaming does to your brain is that it actually uh, makes you think more clearly and it improves your creativity. Mm -hmm. We call this attention cycling. Yes. Um, and so the, the fact that you can take this time off helps the brain. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say about walking, which I think is pretty interesting, is if you want to be more creative, mm -hmm. you should walk in um, sort of zigzag patterns or in curves oh. and not around the block. Oh, okay. Studies show that that if you walk if you if you walk in curves, you're much more creative than if you than if you walk around the block. Curves so, means what? So free walking, like walking on a hiking on a path. Yeah. Is you know that's not a regular path as opposed mm -hmm. to just walking around your office block, uh -huh. which is just a rectangle. I see. So it's kind of cool that the brain responds will start to make connections more uh -huh. when you are following these curvy paths. So, I mean, I do I do regularly walk around the block. Okay, I, mean, I live in a very small town, so the block is fairly rural. But you're saying it'd be better to kind of walk in little, to, to, yes. to kind of weave from one side of the street to the other. That's right. Well, say back on, go back on your track. There's no cars. Right. Go back on your tracks and so on, right? Yeah. I see. That's great news. Okay. Which I think is, you know, that's a helpful thing. Yeah. And then there's a term that I called called psycholo that I coined called psychological Halloweenism, mm -hmm. uh, based on a study that showed that if you gave people a creative problem to solve, mm -hmm. if you gave one group um, an identity to embody, like an eccentric poet. Yeah. And you give the other group an identity of a rigid librarian. Uh -huh. The the group that embodied the personality of an eccentric poet. Yeah. Was much better able to be to be. They were actually statistically significantly more creative. Uh -huh. So the idea is to, and I've, I've actually done this very successfully mm -hmm. with with corporate groups as well. Mm -hmm. I was I was in London recently working with a company that was beginning to become demerged. Mm. And as a result, the workers who were previously connected to Asia mm. were not connected to Asia anymore. So the morale had really dropped. Mm -hmm. And so the program designers, when they worked with me, said, you know, can you give them an exercise so they can... We don't want them to just cognitize. <coughs> Excuse me. We, we, we don't want them to just think about you know, how to feel better. We want them to connect to the fact that it's possible. So I asked them to imagine and embody, like, like fully embody the personality of someone who would take the situation well. One group said that they thought of um, the Buddha because they would just have radical acceptance. Uh, another group thought of, uh, thought of themselves as Steve Jobs. You know, you can't connect the dots moving forward. So they just, they really sort of took that on as an identity. Uh, the third group called themselves Madonna. They said they would just reinvent themselves over and over again. So these unfocused techniques can really help you. Uh, and, and it's interesting because a lot of times we get in our own way. Right? So when you're focused, you're also in this kind of stressed, habit-forming pattern. This is how I always do it. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. But to become unfocused, you really, you, what you do when, you're, when you adopt another identity is you start thinking from someone else's point of view. Actually, I actually had a, a funny-ish example of this at a workshop that I ran recently with an uh, international multilateral, where I asked them, uh, they were sort of trying to solve an issue on climate change. And, and, and they said, you know, they, they, were, they hit a wall and they weren't sure what to do. So I said, well, imagine someone who's completely different from you. And then let's see what that person would do if they tried to solve the problem. Beautiful, yeah. And so one group, there was a guy who put up his hand, he said, I'm having a problem with this exercise. And I said, well, what's the issue? He said, well, you said think of someone who's the opposite of me. And the first person I thought of was Donald Trump, and I, I just I couldn't think mm -hmm. of anything after that. Mm -hmm. 
And so I said, well, let's just look at the details of the situation. So what would Donald Trump do? And he said, well, Donald Trump would probably say, give me the best person. I want the best person. And I said, well, who would the best person be? He said, well, probably Elon Musk. I said, do you have access to Elon Musk? Yeah, I mean, we could get to him. Have you talked to Elon Musk? No. Mm-hmm. Would you like to talk to Elon Musk? Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I said, so even if you don't like someone, yes. if you think as them, yes. you will think outside the box and you will find a way yeah. to think about this issue differently. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I, I often recommend to people that this particular technique they can try out at the dinner table with their kids or yes, their spouses. Yeah. They can try it out in creative groups. I love it. Dates, maybe not the first date. No, yeah. dates is great. Well, actually, can I just chip in with that? Because yeah. I've actually been using this a long time with couples, but not first dates. I'm talking about couples who've been together 30 years. Right. And they haven't had sex for a while. And I have a very simple, almost always works remedy for that. If, you have, if, if a couple hasn't had sex for a while, I, I, I suggest, I, I suggest to, the, to the man, think of a, a hotel somewhere, like a bar somewhere, like in a, preferably one of those bars on the roof of the hotel. And he tells me where it's going to be. And then I work with each of them individually, right. and I set the woman up uh, with some personality absolutely radically different from her own. I know, right? Compl- the, the most right. extreme opposite. You know, maybe she's going right. to be a Russian spy or a ballerina or whatever. Right. Thing. And so she, 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 she has to dress, if possible even in a week, she has to dress completely differently. She goes to the, to the, to the bar, 15, after 15 minutes he arrives, also in a completely different personality, and they, they start chatting each other up. And almost invariably, they, you know, couples who haven't had sex for months will almost invariably have sex, but that's because the, the dopamine kicks yeah. in, the novelty, yeah. and the, suddenly the man has an incentive, he's got like, like it's new, there's a novelty yeah. and newness, and the woman suddenly feels desired, you know. But it has, to, it has to be a radically different personality than the one they're used to. Yeah. And then, interestingly, when they go back to their old personality, the attraction is still there. It just it kind of kick-starts everything. So this is what made me wonder, coming back to your thing, because you're talking about problem-solving, and you said, um, you talked about if you take on the personality of a flamboyant poet, you're more likely to solve problems than, than a rigid librarian. Creative problem. Craig problems. But supposing you are already naturally a flamboyant poet, is it possible then that taking on the personality of the rigid librarian would work because you would be shifting the normal patterns? Well, I think most likely not. Because, okay. because when the same people took on the, the opposite identity, they were not able to do it if they were if they okay. changed their century to, to a librarian. So I, I, I think what I would do is <laughs> think of another creator. I've just thought of a great game we can play together. Because sure. you like to have fun, right? I do. Yeah. I, I've, got, I've got a great game right here on the podcast. Okay, we can always edit, edit this out. Okay. If you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy dropping by radicalbrilliance.com. We've got an ebook for you which explains the radical brilliance cycle, the way the cycle gets blocked, and the practices that best open up the cycle again. We also have five days of gifts and insights for you, delivered every day by email and video, which go much more deeply into the phases of the cycle, the ways that the cycle can become a kind of diagnosis of blocked brilliance, and a way to accurately find the right practice for each person.
In addition, you'll receive a video about the single most important practice that we have determined affects brilliance. And another video about everyone's favorite topic. Brilliant sex. It's all totally free, prepared for you as our guest. Please come to RadicalBrilliance.com. Register on the homepage and you'll receive the ebook right away. Then you'll be guided through the five days of videos to take you deeper into your own radical brilliance. I'm in, I've got a game we can play, okay? Yeah. For the next couple of minutes, I'll give you a role to play, and you give me a role to play, and we'll continue the interview in okay. different roles. You are? Sure. Are you in? Sounds good. Okay, okay. So, uh, <coughs> do you want to nominate my role first, or should I nominate your role first? I love that you're willing to play. Um, maybe you nominate my role first, and then I'll find a contrasting role for you. Okay. I'm going to suggest that you are a... Um, A very seductive waitress in a Las Vegas strip joint. Okay. And I'm going to suggest. Well, I didn't want really to give you the opposite because that would just make it good. I was going to say you should just be somebody who's really cold and distant and annoying. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's try that. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Let's try that. Um, so are we just role-playing the scene, or are we continue with the scene? Let's do whatever we want. Let's just give it a couple of minutes. Okay, we'll just try it, just to see, if it, just to see what it does for creativity. Sure. Mm. What do you want? <sighs> just noticing how attractive your intensity is. I am not available for this kind of conversation, thank you. I, I, I understand. I'm simply commenting how you are. I mean, could you poet? Really, your presence. I think my posture is absolutely appropriate to the moment. Well, uh, you know, look at where your hands are. My hands are touching my electronic, my portable electronic device. Yeah, they're in a very particular position. I don't want to suggest you're being defensive, but I, I, and all I'm saying is that you're really attractive. You know, but I, I mean, I understand that you sound like you're bothered. Are you feeling you feeling tired today? Uh, I am adequately rested. Thank you very much for your concern. Yeah, I feel. Um, I feel I understand what you're feeling. I don't know if you're married, and, uh, I, but what I'm going to say is, uh, I I'm here. It's extremely kind of you. I am married. Thank you. Good. That's great. Okay. So. Um, Let's see, how, how was that? Because we, we, we shifted away from, we shifted out of what's normal. Well, I think what's, what's interesting about it is, in that instance, I, I, I wasn't sure whether we chose the wrong identities, meaning if I was going to be that person, mm -hmm. I think maybe you should be creative too. Okay. Should we try another one? Yeah. Okay. You, you, yeah. you suggest both roles, and I'll play along. Um, to maximize creativity. This is a great game. Anybody can play. It's a really good idea. If you have an unsolved problem, especially if you're, this, this podcast is all about contribution and solving the world's big problems. If, you, if you're working on a problem, try solving your problem from a whole different perspective. So why don't we actually, why don't we think of a global problem and then take on different identities and see if we can have some good ideas? 
Okay. Um, so let's think of a problem. So I think I mean the first problem I think of is the amount of stress there is in the world. Okay. Um, and and is there a way that we can think about reducing the amount of stress? Right. Give um, me a role. I'm ready. So I want you to be um, Angelina Jolie. Okay. All right. And I want you to then, as Angelina Jolie, recommend to me mm. what. So, yeah, let's do that. As, so, we'll do it one at a time. So, I'll just be me. And you'll be and me, and I'm going to be Angelina and Julie. And, yeah. I, I just watch a whole lot of television, so I don't really know. Well, think of her persona. Okay. Yeah. Like, but do you know anything about her? Well, enough. She yeah. was married to Brad Pitt. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know. So, like, me some, so Angelina, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm feeling so stressed today. Like, I, 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 well, in my life like, in general, what, what should I do? You just really got to let go of that, you know, because, like, I mean, there's a lot of starving babies in the world who need parents. And you just we just gotta get we just gotta give love and you know and just be cool. So you're it's actually it's helping me because what you're telling me is that one way to become de-stressed is to have a sense of purpose. Well, adopt children, you know that's what we did. We adopted a lot of children. Now, of course, our marriage didn't last, but we adopted a lot of children. I've got all these children now, and I feel I discovered love I didn't even know I had. I discovered I didn't. Yeah, I I, I feel I feel like the way to reduce stress is. is Find a lot of people to love. So I think what you're telling me is two things. One is find a sense of purpose. The other is in your own way. Don't overthink this, baby. Just just chill, relax, and love people. Well, and make movies, great movies. Well, do your movies de-stress you? Yeah, of course yeah. they do. Yeah. In what way? Well, because I, I've, made, I've made incredible movies about people doing incredible things. You know, I made that amazing movie, I can't remember what it was now, it was about a woman who started the shopping network or something, I think that was one I did, yeah. I can't quite remember, I'm so de-stressed, I can't quite remember which movies I've made, but, oh, I made a movie, yeah, I've made, I've made amazing movies that, that, um, that of course they de-stress you because it's creativity, you've got to just have a lot of children around and, and a lot of creativity, yeah. So, so I'll just, I'll earmark what, what I think this exercise did. Yeah, okay, good. So by taking on a different identity, yeah. you basically recommended to me yeah. to decrease stress, number one, have a sense of purpose. Right. Number two, find ways to activate love within yourself. Yeah. Number three, find different roles for yourself yeah. so that you don't have to be stuck in your current role. Well, there's another thing is that I am normally, in my personality, quite cognitive and analytical. And I don't know that much about Angelina Jolie, but I, I kind of, right. it gave me permission, whether it was her or not, right. to become, uh, to, to kind of, let's not overthink this. Should we do the reverse? Right. Sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's find another. Okay, so let's do another one. We're going to do the amount of plastic in the ocean, and you're going to be Lady Gaga. Well, can you tell me what your specific concern is and what problem you'd like to solve? Yeah, we've got a whole bunch of plastics getting dumped out in. Trash, trash boats are taking all this plastic up in the ocean, <coughs> dumping it in an ocean. There's, <clears throat> there's an island now formed in the middle of the Pacific, three times the size of Texas, and it's just plastic. So, Lady Gaga, I think one of the things I, I think about is what made me not care um, about anything the way that people might not care about plastic. And I had a point in my career where I really didn't want to sing anymore. 
and, and I didn't want to sing anymore because I was doing stuff I didn't want to do. I was taking selfies. I had much more to offer the world. I, um, I was selling perfumes. I didn't, I, I didn't even like doing that. And so I said to myself, you know, I, I, I seem to not care about what I'm doing, the way that people don't care about plastic, um, because I'm not living my life as who I am. So what should we do about all the plastic? Because, I mean, it's, this is a huge problem. So, and then I went home and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, <coughs> you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no to things. I'm going to say no, because if I say no, I'm going to be able to sleep with myself. And I went home and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you have integrity, because now you're saying no when you mean no. And so one of the things we could, we could get to is identify the businesses where, that are responsible. Look at the, the chain that leads to plastic being in the ocean and try to see how many of them are burnt out and frustrated. So much so, like the leaders presumably are burnt out and frustrated, so they're not changing any of this. Maybe we could institute corporate programs for those particular corporations to help them be less burnt out, so that they started to care. Okay, so how did so how did how did becoming <coughs> Lady Gaga affect you? Well, the one thing I know about Lady Gaga is what I just said, mm. and and I think it took me to a place of what was the most profound thing that I know about her in her life, mm. and I think knowing that she was burnt out and that that's when she stopped caring made me think about leaders who don't care when they're dropping plastic in the ocean, mm. and and in the same way that she started to say no, we could construct a program for leaders to help them figure out what they need to say no to, to free up brain space mm. to actually start thinking about this. So in terms of unfocus then, that's another worthy noble technique that could be used, uh, particularly if you work with other people, is to take a little break uh, and uh, actually become somebody else and, yeah. and embody a different kind of energy and that might actually allow you to access parts of your psyche, I don't know, parts of your brain, but certainly parts yeah. of your psyche that are usually underutilized. Yeah, I, I often, as you know, I, 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 I'm sometimes dressed eccentrically because I just feel like it. And I, I will play all kinds of games with myself mm. just to experience the range of possibilities. Well, you, I, I don't know about eccentric, but you have in, impeccable dress sense. It's, I mean, you, you, you appear to have walked off a straight off a runway every time. You know what I mean? Those, those what's it called a runway where they, where they model right. things? Is that what it's called? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it is run walk or broadwalk or run walk. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, you know where models walk down the thing. Right. Yeah, I mean I've met you several times, and you always dress in this incredibly uh, fashion-conscious way. Well, because I think clothing sort of changes your identity. The mm -hmm. psychological Halloweenism yeah. is about, and, and I don't think I do it specifically for that reason. I think I do it because I'm interested in clothes. Yeah, uh, but I do think what you wear can change how you feel. And that's maybe another thing about taking a break is perhaps, you know, you go have a shower and put on different clothes. Yeah? Yeah. You know, it's funny, my, my Twitter profile, the way I describe myself, mm. is uh, somewhere between martinis and meditation. <laughs> cool. Srini, thank you so much. I want to have some, really thank you. Let's just kind of summarize from today that I think the big thing that we've, the big thing that I've taken from today, and I'm really going to take this home, is not to go more than 45 minutes without a break. Make that break fun and to make it energized and something that is as different from what you were focusing on as possible. And I want to include doodling, I want to include art, I want to include making music. Uh, you've really fired me up and inspired me to supplement my radical brilliance, my focused radical brilliance, with radical unfocus and goofing off. 
Thanks a lot. I, I, want, I want to invite you back as soon as possible to the podcast to talk about the other side of normal. Yeah, absolutely. I which is the, 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 the other side of what we consider normal than pathology. Maybe yeah. we'll have to do that on Zoom or maybe we're going to meet up in Panama. Yeah, but thanks, thanks so much, brother. I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed yeah. hanging out. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to my friend Srini. So, where are we going to go from here? I'll tell ya. We're going to do less. So, I would suggest, because actually doing less, well, you could just do less right now. You could switch off this podcast and give yourself a break. Take a nap or go look at some trees, take a walk, do something unproductive. But maybe you might want to do a little bit of that and then take a journal and see if you could make some commitments for the next seven days. What kind of breaks are you going to take? Now, depending on your work, you may not be able to take 15 minutes off every 45, which is what he recommends. 45 minutes on, 15 off. That's what I do. Uh, I actually do woodwork when I'm not work, when I'm not on the computer. I go build something. So how are you going to implement this in your day? Uh, see if you can clear an entire day on your calendar when nothing is happening. See if you can implement inactivity into your activity. And I'm looking f I look forward very much to seeing you on our next episode. And please, while you're here, if you're on the Apple podcast app, please go ahead and give us five stars. The more five stars we get, the more we rise up in the echelons of podcasts and the more likelihood we have of world domination. Thank you so much and see you soon.